Live from the 607 is the ODPH Entertainment Edition, where we're talking movies, comics, TV, and more. Why don't you join in the conversation? Hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I am your host, Ken M. Sing across me this week. As always, it's Padawan J. I mean, if I sound a little excited right now, uh, I'm not going to brag a little bit, but I'm going to brag. Uh, Ice-T saw one of my tweets on my personal Twitter account and liked it, so I'm a little happy right now. Yeah, Pad is extremely giddy. If, uh-huh. if, we, if we had a webcam right now, it would be full cheese all over say here. Any, any hip-hop fans know how big that is. Oh, it's, it's a huge deal. Huge uh-huh. deal. But, folks, we have a lot to discuss in the land of entertainment, so definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation. You can find our social media links on OchoDuroParleyHour.com because we have a lot to discuss. It's been a little quiet week, but we still have a couple things we really want to dig into. And one show that flew under the radar for me this season, but we kind of have to talk about it in retrospective because it was the series finale this past week. Mm Mm-hmm. Of Legion. One of the trippiest shows in TV history. Like, my, ever. I will fight anyone on that. My God. Uh-huh. One of the most visually impressive shows you'll ever see. The cinematography. Yeah. Just mind-blowing. And, and, and the visual effects, I would say, were on par with a lot of movies. And I know one of the knocks the CW Arrowverse gets, and, and even Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. gets this, is just the special effects don't look that good. And that's to be expected. It's a television show. You know, they're they're getting whatever budget they get. I'm not entirely familiar with what an average TV show budget is, but they're not getting, you know, the blank check that a lot of movies get for their budgets. But, you know, Legion kind of bucked that trend where... I would argue the visual and special effects they used in that show over the course of the three seasons were on par, if not better, than a lot of movies hitting theaters right now. When it came out, it was a risk, yeah. in, in my opinion, because yeah. if you know the history of characters and comics, Legion is not exactly somebody you go, I want to see a show of. Even, even if you go to somebody who has read every single X-Men comic book, and I mean every single one, like every spinoff, every mainline, every, you know, what have you, and you go... Give me five characters you would like to see a TV show based around. I will guarantee you that the percentage of people who say Legion is like less than 5%. It has to be up there. I mean, it, there's no question about it. I mean, obviously, Legion came to fame in the New Mutants comic. Mm-hmm. Chris Claremont and Bill Sankowitz created him in, early in the run there. And just the history of that character is very complicated, to put it mildly. Yeah. It's a very good read if you have the time to track it down on Marvel Unlimited or however you read your comics. Go to the local comic shops and ask about some trades. It's a very interesting read to hear how David Haller emerges as one of the most dangerous mutants in the world. Mm-hmm. An Omega-level mutant, which was proven in the current House of X, Powers of X storyline. Yep. So to see that his character has evolved throughout the comics and been a part of some very big moments. I mean, the one that sticks out to me is he is the reason for the Age of Apocalypse to start. Mm-hmm. So to hear that he was going to get his own TV show was a very interesting ploy. I mean, yeah. I, I had not really thought of him as like, okay, this is going to work on TV and how is it going to do? Right. And when creator Noah Hawley put the show out, it definitely caught my attention and had me guessing each and every week, mm-hmm. what am I watching? Yeah. Because it really delved into the psyche of David Haller. And going into spoilers, and we are going to be talking spoilers of the show and the season finale, too, so you've been fair warned. 
when you start delving in there, the question I think that every viewer was watching every week was, what is real and what isn't? Mm -hmm. Because you could not tell. Yeah. And we talk about in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when they jump around and they do, you know, different time periods and go back and forth and such. Yeah. Legion does it so well and so yeah. eloquently that you genuinely don't have an idea what is going on. And the one character that was haunting yeah. the entire first season is the character with yellow eyes. Mm hmm which, if you want to go through the Twitter lineage, I did call that first episode mm -hmm. who it was. Yeah, you did. So just pat myself on the back. But as it started going through, you started seeing Dave Stevenson, or Stevens, rather, just take the character of David Haller and emerge him right into a larger-than-life persona and a very tragic character, to say the least. And, and you look at it, it really is a good character progression from you know the first episode of season one to where things end up at the end of it all. It, it's, it starts off very innocently where it's just this guy in a, in a mental health facility with with whatever issues he's got going on. And it's just like he's not quite sure what's going on. He, he Nothing makes sense. And then more things don't make sense. And he figures things out like it's a very good. I don't want to say hero's journey because it to me doesn't really feel like a hero's journey, but it feels like it feels like a very good journey of a character yeah you can only define legion as a character you can't really say hero and you can't really say anti-hero no too. it just depends on the story he's in and this one i mean from where it starts in the home it begins where stevens really embraces the role yeah and shows you just how damaged this character is and really portrays him as somebody that is really lost in their way and like who is legion and where goes from there and the different characters that are involved. I mean, the standout character on this show, there's two for me. Okay. Aubrey Plaza, who yes. played Lenny yes. on this series, was phenomenal. Especially season one. Season one, Aubrey Plaza was just incredible. Right, because when you start seeing that her character really isn't her character and just kind of how it dives in to who turns out to be the Shadow King by the time it's all said and done mm -hmm. and just how that plays into the psychological possession of David Holler, this is where Aubrey Plaza just really jumped out and really sunk her teeth into the role and just made it larger than life. Because at this point, you kind of think, okay, who's the friend and who isn't? And it goes back and forth until the great reveal. And when you finally have that payoff, mm -hmm. it's so well done because you think it's her and then it turns out not to be. And then just, just how they just intertwine everything like that is truly remarkable. So by the end of season one, you're thinking, okay, everything's all right. And when they do that weird miniaturized takeaway of David yeah. and he's captured yeah. by the uh, foundation there. It's just one of those things that you're going, okay, we had the big payoff, so we know that there's a big X-Men villain in the series. Mm -hmm. And then how is this going to tie into? Because Legion, for the most part, has been portrayed as an antagonist, albeit right. though not an intentional one. Right. Which is a weird statement to make in the, if you're talking about comic characters. A little bit. Yeah, usually it, it's it, depending on what the storyline is, but for Marvel, it's usually pretty cut and dry, good guy, bad guy, yeah. and you go from there. This one, Legion was portrayed as who is Legion and and what side is really using him for the right reasons and trying to help him instead of using him as a weapon, and it right. goes back and forth. So, I mean, season one was just phenomenal, and like we say, visually stunning. That you just are sitting there just in awe of just what's going on and the different characters that you're seeing come through back and forth. I mean, Sid, who is played by Rachel Keller, she was, you know, his Legion's partner and, you know, obviously became love interest. And just the dynamic going on between yeah. both of those two characters 
was really you know something you haven't seen on tv in a while no and especially right from the get-go where like he sees her and was like oh my gosh like she's beautiful and goes in for the kiss and then her powers get revealed yeah which at the time you're kind of thinking was she supposed to be rogue yeah yeah that was what we thought because she he kissed her she kissed him whatever it was i forget it's been a couple of years but then he just passes out and you're like wait a minute i haven't seen anything like this since rogue in the movies yeah so at this stage it's just a very weird dynamic that you're seeing just kind of how you're tying into just a, a young adult who's trying to find his way in the world and just kind of dealing with the emotions that come with that. But meanwhile, at the same time, you're seeing that you're finding of how much damaged he is from his childhood growing up and the character with yellow eyes walking around. And then the one that you thought was supposed to be the real memory wasn't. And it's just just how well it was played out. I mean, season one was just one of those shows that really snuck up on you and really took care of you. So by season two, we had our villain finally established. And Navid Nehaban, who mm-hmm. played Amir Farouk, mm-hmm. Amal Farouk, as the Shadow King, by by far and away, the star of the show. Yeah. I will say this. Dan Stevens, nothing against him, nothing against Aubrey Plaza, nothing against anybody else on the show. But Navid, his portrayal of Amal Farouk just stole the series. Yeah. And just, you know, was one of those characters you couldn't take your eyes off of and just embraced the role and just really, I want to say almost made the show about him, per se. Just, that. just how good it was played out. Because then you start delving into what Legion is trying to do and just how the agency is trying to come up as a weapon against the Shadow King and just how it plays out. And by the time you get the payoff for season two, I know we're kind of just kind of jumping really into things. It's such a a left field turn. Yeah. Because what happens is at the end of it, it seems that the Shadow King has now possessed everybody in the department that has been trying to work with Legion to prevent him from, T- you know, taking over. It's one of those bleep moments that you're like, oh, no, this isn't happening, is it? Right, because at this point, you see that Legion has finally emerged as the antagonist of the show. Yep. And just how much he unwillingly or unknowingly has just caused a lot of damage to everybody on that team just with his actions and mind con- And it almost feels like mind control. It's just such an interesting dynamic that he goes from season one to season two. It Dan Stevens, like I said, just really sinks his teeth into this and really demonstrates just of how damaged for, uh, Legion is. And when it gets finally in that payoff moment in season two, you're like, oh, wait, what are they going to do for season three? Yeah. So now we finally fast forward to season three, and this is where it was getting announced that they were going to introduce Charles Xavier. Which was a big bombshell because, well, the last time we'd seen Charles Xavier in anything motion picture-wise, be it TV or, or film, you know, of note was a, what, uh, X-Men Apocalypse? At that time, yeah. At that I mean, time, you know, Patrick Stewart had announced he was done playing the role from uh, during Logan, so it was kind of a question of, all right, who are you going to have do it? Are you going to somehow talk Patrick Stewart into doing it? Are you going to get James McAvoy to come do it? Like, what are you going to do? No, because at this point, it had really not been connected to the X-Men universe. I mean, right. I, the only connection they had was a foreshadowing of a picture of the wheelchair Charles Xavier was in, right. and you saw the X in the wheel. So at that point, you're like, okay, maybe they're going to tie into it. And I know at one point they were really trying to add Bishop to the show, mm. which that would have been something if they could pull that character out. Yeah. But overall, it went to uh, Legion just kind of emerging and dabbling in time travel this season. Which, which is always messy. It's always messy. And I understand that it was something different. I mean, they introduced the character of Switch and just how the connection, they were revealing the history between Charles Xavier and Legion and how it ties into the Shadow King. So when we get to the final finale, as we just saw this past Monday, 
Pad, what did you think? I was really confused because I I had to watch it a couple times and even look up a couple explanations of what the heck happened. Yeah, which is truly what Legion is because trying to describe it is going to be tough. You're gonna you're gonna need a chart, a flow chart, and a uh, eraser. Yes, because after the season two finale, season three is kind of a little more trippy, and that if is, that's possible. That, I know. I was gonna say that's almost impossible to say. And as you see the progression, you're going through the history of Professor X and where he meets up with David's mother and just how it ties into time travel. And then, as always, anything with time travel, it always gets messy. And then mm-hmm. it, it winds up that part of Legion's – do we call them a team uh, at, at this stage? Maybe. Because as he jumps in, you see Sid teaming with uh, Carrie and Carrie Loudermilk, who played by Bill Irwin and Amber Minthunder. Mm-hmm. Who I mean, they played a great role on the show. I mean, they're playing split characters. That yeah. you know, one was a scientist, the other was a warrior, and and you see them merge in and out, and just they're sitting there just defending da- or David's mother during this from obviously what's going on with the time bureau. Like, yeah, it, it's just kind of a weird scenario too. And at this stage, you have the final showdown getting built where Legion finally meets his dad. Yep. And they meet two versions of the Shadow King. Which is, you know, the Shadow King's already not a good thing. Like, Shadow King shows up in certain instances, you're like, ah, crap, this isn't good. Like, if you're a character in that story, you're like, ah, crap, this isn't good. Then you're staring two in the face, and you're like, oh, God, I'm not making it out of this, am I? No, this is one of those you're like, okay, what is going on? But one thing I will say, though, is when they started delving into what can only be described as an astral plane battle, mm-hmm. which you know anything from the comics, that's where they go into the mental realm and uh, it's out of body and it's, I mean, ties in with Shadow King, ties in with Xavier, ties in with Legion. How they did this was very interesting because you see that as Charles and David are talking over their battle plan, you see David form a mace yeah. like of mental energy and you see Charles just form a bullet, yep. which he loads into a gun. And I mean, they know what they have to do. And as they kind of get paired off, you see David fight the younger Farouk, and you see Charles meet with the older one. It was almost like watching, you know, a couple cores from Green, you know, from like the Green Lantern Corps or the Yellow Lantern Corps, or like in the DC universe, fighting off against each other. Because it's like, oh, it's not just our bare strength; it's not just like our brute strength; it's our mental abilities. Right. So at this point, you're seeing two battles go on until it finally breaks down between Xavier and the older Shadow King. That they almost come to like a truce out of nowhere. Which is odd. It was odd, but they kind of come to a, a, an understanding of each other, which uh-huh. is weird to say, but it also now has caused a time ripple effect because the Shadow King eventually meets up with his younger version, which he saves right. from Legion killing. Yeah. Because Legion at this point has become so powerful. He almost kills him until he's pulled off, and they explain Charles does, and they have this weird like father son moment where Xavier like has a talk with him and kind of apologizes for everything, and says everything will be okay now, and it's a weird scenario. Yeah, I mean like, and, and I'm not saying a bad, I'm not saying good, I'm just saying it's it's odd. It, it felt off pace. It, it kind of did, but it was kind of one of those that you're expecting the big battle and it doesn't right, happen. And I mean, right. maybe we're just so used to it from superhero shows that when it doesn't happen and it's kind of really left out there that the ending, I thought, kind of left it open-ended. I mean, I know the series has ended, yeah, but it almost leaves it open-ended because you almost fall back to your problem from season one. Mm-hmm. What is real and what is fake? Yeah. Because I can't see Xavier coming to a... We know you exist. You know I. We exist. 
we're just going to stay on our sides of the fence and never run into each other. Right. I just don't buy that. Well, usually no, but it is Xavier. He has done odd things in the past. Right. but Especially I'm, in current run comics. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll get to a little bit later in the mm-hmm. show. Oh, trust us on that one. But at this stage, you see they're come to the peace and understanding, and you see that the timeline is almost now reset. And but, it, it basically is because the yeah. Shadow King is going to leave Legion alone from the get. Mm-hmm. So... When this is all happening, and albeit though, I didn't even want to touch upon it, but I, I have to mention, I know they did a lot with music this season, but, yeah. the, but the whole Pink Floyd scene with yeah. Mother was yeah, different. Yeah. And it, it just kind of tied into the episode. It was like, okay, what is really real and what is not? And then he's going through these mental stages to now where he knows the timeline is getting reset. So it was almost like the series was all for nothing. We'll say Ace of Fox is Ace in the Hole. Reset the timeline. Yeah, which, I mean, obviously at this stage a lot is going on, and no, it does not have anything to do with Marvel being or acquiring Fox. No. One of the very stresses. From the get-go, uh, Hawley had said that he wanted the show to go three seasons. Mm-hmm. So this was the beginning, middle, and end. Yep. But overall, the episode was just was odd. I mean, it was a good episode, but very odd. Yeah. Even for Legion standards. Yeah. So, Pat, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. We've now wrapped up the series. Mm-hmm. What do you think Legion's legacy is? Uh, man, I don't know. Just because I, throughout the whole show, as much as I watched it, as much as I enjoyed it and didn't enjoy parts of it, I could never really get my firm grasp on what was going on. So it's 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 hard to say what kind of impact it is because it's almost a story outside of existence. Where it to just to me it feels odd that you have a, a story set in the X Men universe, and to, to some degree, somebody from the X Men team or that side of the thing side of things outside of young Charles Xavier because to me that young Charles Xavier has nothing to do with you know James McAvoy or or Patrick Stewart to me it just feels odd to do a series set in that universe and then not even loosely tie to it 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 almost feels like uh, an alternate timeline story it kind of had that vibe to it I mean I know at the time the gifted was out on Fox right Nobody really knew. I mean, obviously, I don't think that was connected, but nobody knew if they were going to try doing a crossover. They alluded alluded to it, but, like, they never firmly said it. Like, you heard hints of something happened to the X-Men, but you never got a firm answer. Yeah, it was kind of teased, but it was never, like, officially confirmed. I mean, everybody was under the same roof, so so to speak, they could have crossed over. I mean, kind of like how Cloak and Dagger is now going to do with Runaways. Yeah. But Legion, for me, is going to have its legacy of taking a character who was very complex and one that I didn't think was going to work as a show. I genuinely didn't. Mm-hmm. And made it into a very thought-provoking show because you had to question a lot what was going on and what personalities and dealing with mental health and somebody that has that much power. I mean, we always talk about Ben Parker's famous philosophy, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Well, what if somebody's not mentally able to handle that? Yeah, That became the, the motive of the show. And as you see with other factors tying in, the Shadow King and his possession and then ultimate you know, revealed to be the villain or hero, depending on what side of the fence you want on. It really became something to set a benchmark on of not every superhero show involving Marvel or DC per se needs, needs to be so cookie cutter of good guy versus bad guy. In a, you know, bad guys base, you know, is a typical in a warehouse. Yeah. You know, anything like that. There was one that just really kind of pushed the boundaries of just what happens when somebody has all this power and can't handle the responsibility due to mm-hmm. situations outside their control. And I thought when they tied in with season three, it was a definite different direction. Yeah. 
maybe I didn't gravitate towards it as much just because I thought, in my opinion, like the Charles Xavier tie-in, while it did matter, it just didn't have the same impact like when we tied in with the Shadow King Mm -hmm. and going from there. To me, it almost felt a little forced. It kind of did, but you, but obviously knowing the character's background, you needed, right. you needed to say it, right? You know, and and this is one of those situations where it needed to get explained a little more in detail and just tie in, I guess, a little more to the X universe, like to just reset everything. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I, it makes sense, but it doesn't, and mm-hmm. it, it kind of says to me like, okay, we had a great idea to g- carry forward, but if we're just going to reset, we have leave, we've left it open ended that if we want to come back to do it again, we can. Yeah. I'd be okay with it, but then again, where do you go from here? Right. Because you're going to have Legion in the X universe now? I don't think so. Right. I don't think Disney's going to go near him. No, no. No, I I don't, unfortunately. I, th- I think that falls under the category of too powerful for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. And you definitely, I don't know where that would go, like fall into, because especially with now the new phase coming out, and I'm mm-hmm. and I'm fully convinced Eternals is going to be what segues into mutants. Well, it starts off the mutants aspect of it. Yeah, it's gonna. It's that's the only claim to fame that's going to have. So, like, like you're not going to. Let's get one thing out of the way. We both think that the X Men in some form or mutants in some form are going to come out of or be a result of the Eternals. We don't think for one instance that there's going to be an end credit scene of a certain mansion in Westchester, New York, with a bald headed man in a wheelchair saying oh it's time my students like no that's not gonna happen no it's not gonna happen you're gonna hear mutants before you hear yeah, x-men yeah and we've already established that but for legion overall though it did show that if a network wants to take a shot on a character as long as the story is good and the character the actors can really make something of the material it has a place on tv or it has a place in media for it mm-hmm. and i think legion does i mean legion definitely was a different show than anything we'd seen on tv at least involved in the superhero yeah. genre. Yeah, I mean, you can you can say about your different indie comics that have appeared on screen or film, but either way, it doesn't matter because Legion really stood out in its own corner and made its own mark. Because, like I said, the visuals on the show were truly embracing the characters' just frantic mental state because it was just so visually impressive that you just had no idea really what was going on. I mean, for me, that's what really sticks out. I mean, and along with the great acting. And just like I said, some of the parts, though, really kind of hit or miss. I know when they went with a lot of the humor and the musical tone, a lot of it hit, some of it didn't. But yeah. you know, there's nothing to do. And like you said, I mean, the season finale, the series finale, kind of anticlimactic, and I kind of thought Xavier was too this season. But it at least opened the door to say we can take a property like Legion, who doesn't have a fan base, and as long as your creators and actors really run with it and make something of it, there is an audience for it. And I think now, especially with everything phasing over to Disney Plus and Hulu and whatever is going to be the future of, I, I want to say, more mature heroes or characters right. involving comics, Legion has shown that there is an audience and there is some place you can watch it. You're just going to have to watch it a couple times because it is going to mess you up. Mm-hmm. But definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts on Legion? Have you watched the show? Did you really like it? Did you really not like it? We want to know. Let's have a discussion about it, shall we? Hit us up on the social media. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Shut her up. 
coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH, and we have to talk some comics. Oh, yeah, we do. And we have to talk about a very big comic that came out last week. No, nah, wasn't that big, though. Oh, it definitely was. Oh, I mean, even, yeah. our, even our friends on Twitter, shout out to I Understood That Reference, and shout out to Two Man Comic Book Club. We've been having discussions about this online. Mm-hmm. The issue is House of X number two. Oh, boy. If you are not familiar, we are going to be talking spoilers. This new run of the X-Men universe Mm -hmm. is really hit the ground running. Sprinting, more like. Sprinting, because when it was announced, Jonathan Hickman was taking over the X-Men line. A lot of hype behind it, and obviously, rightfully so. Hickman is an incredible writer. He does very long, drawn-out plots. He does slow-burn dramas. Easiest way to describe it. Mm -hmm. And he had been hyping that there was an event that was going to change the face of the Marvel Universe forever. The biggest moment in X-Men history. Mm -hmm. And we'd all been waiting and go, okay, what are they going to try doing? Well, and there was even a moment on Twitter where... Uh, he said that like he he one of his editors or something had read like the first couple issues and even they weren't prepared for what they were reading. Nobody was prepared. Nobody, because when he dropped this bombshell mm-hmm. on everybody, and that's the only way you can describe it, it went whoa. Like on everybody we've talked to online at the comic shops, wherever we bumped into anybody, and House of X has come up in discussion. Everybody went. Yeah, what did you think of that? Yeah. And rightfully so. So we are going to start delving into the issue, breaking it down in three, two, one. Pat, I mean, what did you think of the issue? It was a wild read, and I could not believe the twist they introduced into it. I could not believe it either, which they decided to reveal early, which this was kind of a surprise to me. Like, if there was anything that was more of a shock than the actual surprise, right? it was they revealed it this early. Mm-hmm. And what is that reveal, you ask? It is the truth behind Dr. Moria McTaggart, mm-hmm. longtime X-Men ally. Like the one, the, the little cliffhanger scene we had in last week in Powers of X, mm-hmm. where we go, oh, I wonder when we're going to find that out. And we figured it'd be a couple weeks or maybe towards the end of the series. Nope, next week. No, we got right into it, which it definitely answered a lot of questions, but raised some more. I'll say it answered like one question and raised maybe about 2,000 more. Because it ties into the scene where a young Xavier meets a young Moria, and Moria says, read my mind. And she kind of says, what, what is a dream if it's real? Right, because Xavier has this, this moment of like, almost like deja vu, like, I feel like I know you from someplace. Mm-hmm. And she starts naming details and then says, read my mind. And you see the look of just sheer, like, what the heck? Wonderment and, and terror almost yeah. of Xavier. And then we get to this issue where we start breaking down the history of Moria McTaggart, who had been long time just rumored to be a human. Yep. And what happened, Pat? Uh, she's a mutant. She is a very important mutant. Yeah. Whose power is reincarnating her life over and over again. And not as somebody different, but as herself. Right. And she retains the memories yeah. of the past life. Yeah. Which, to see this happen, I had to literally put the book down and go like, what did I just read? Wait, wait, time mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Because long-standing ally, and you'd wonder why she'd been helping the X-Men out, and then it ties into the characters there. Now you understand, mm-hmm. which, I mean, it's a different motivation. You kind of almost want to say, why didn't this happen sooner? But, hey, sidetrack. We don't need to get into that. But as we start delving into the history, she starts replaying how she grew up with her memories and the first time that she grew and she died of old age at, like, age, what, 72? 72, 80-something. Yeah, no, old age. 
Yeah, just regular old age. So nothing super crazy. Grew no. up, went to school, got married, had kids, was happy. Yeah. Or and, so it seemed. Or so it seemed. And then we fast forward back to her life. And then she's growing up in, in that age, but she remembers that all of her past memories. So she's trying to get in touch with Charles Xavier. And I think the thing we need to point out is, yeah, she's reincarnated. She retains her memories. This isn't a scenario where, like, she retains her memories but doesn't trigger them until a certain age. No, she sets out in the in a little bit further in the episode that she is fully aware and has all of her memories when she is in the womb. Yes, which is a wild power It was a little moment. uncomfortable. It was a little uncomfortable, but I was like, okay, this is very different. Something yeah. we had seen before, which I completely love because I want to be surprised when I read comics. Mm-hmm. And as we start going through, this is when she's living her, her lives. And as she's going through the second life, she's trying to get in touch with Charles Xavier, but dies in a plane crash. Right. So life two is gone. So we go to life three. Mm-hmm. Living life yet again has those memories. And then winds up trying to make a mutant cure. And then at this point, she runs into some old friends of the X-Men, Mystique and Destiny. Right. Which, at this point, Destiny is explaining, you have 10 lives. Maybe 11, depending on how you play that last Well, and, well and at this point, Moira thinks, oh, I'm the only one who knows what's going on. I, nobody else is aware of what I can do. And, and I'm going to get away with this scot-free. And Destiny goes, uh-uh. I know. No, Destiny can see everything. She's, so. Destiny's fully aware. Yes, and she's basically saying, use your powers to help mutants. Otherwise, I will make it my mission to hunt you down and kill you. Yeah. And I'll make sure that you don't live that long. Yeah. And she has Pyro kill her at this stage. And, and it's one of the more gruesome panels in the comic where uh, she goes, you know, kill her slowly so that she remembers what this death is like. Right. So at this point, this now changes her direction as a character. And then she starts meeting her next life. She starts working with the X-Men. And this is when she yeah. starts falling in love with Xavier and then tries to steer him in the direction of stopping the Sentinels. And it almost seems like the the Sentinels cannot be stopped. Like, that's yeah. what her major focus is. Yeah. Which does make sense if you think about how Powers is played out. And I know we're flipping books. But with Nimrod being the major villain. Right. It's almost like her mission is to stop the Sentinels. It almost feels like one of those things you see in, in time travel or, like, altering history stories where like you're trying to prevent something but every time you try to prevent it and you come up with a new way to prevent it it comes at you but from a different angle and from something you weren't quite expecting right so at this stage it's just where is more going from here because uh, lives four and five if we're recapping Uh uh-huh almost in the same way yeah that it winds up sentinels are involved and Life five, I believe, was when she talked Xavier into building a safe haven for mutants. Yeah, and the and the Sentinel still came there. Yep. But what I thought was interesting, and I know this is going to play a factor down the road. I just don't know how. Mm-hmm. We don't know nothing about life six. That's true. Life six was skipped. Yeah. So I I don't know. I mean, I might be. So looking... Is it left out of the little timeline circle thing they did? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is left out, and they don't really touch upon it, which. I know that they're going to have to at some right, point. Right. You would think. Right. And if you're and if you pick up this issue and you're at all confused about what's going on and what life it is, there's a handy little I almost want to call it like a history timeline thing they do towards the towards the end of the book where it it, it kind of takes all of her lives that they show. Obviously the sixth one is skipped and it kind of like details the major events of, you know, where it starts and, and goes up to, and then it hits the circle and then you get to the end point where she dies. Although the interesting thing I think with uh, a couple of them is that how the line, like a couple of them 
uh, the line just hard stops. Like the first one is, you know, year 74, Moira dies of uh, congestive heart failure, her first life. You know, another one, it's, you know, she dies in a sentinel attack and then she dies after, uh, you know, discovering the master mold facility. But then there's a couple of them where it's like, okay, she dies, but then it's not a hard stop. It keeps going. Right. So this is a very interesting tale that they're weaving. Yeah. Because you would think that now, okay, she has all this knowledge about what's going on and it's still not working. Like when she comes back for live number seven, she starts working with Magneto. Mm-hmm. And obviously Magneto, I think, is very well aware if somebody's telling him, hey, the mutant race is in trouble. Mm-hmm. You're going to need to be the one to step up and do this because Xavier can't. He's a man who needs very little motivation. Right. When it comes to saving mutants, yeah, yeah that is him to the letter. And it takes a combined front from the X-Men, Avengers, and Fantastic Four to stop him. <laughs> Which is wild. So like, put that, put that in mental perspective. Can I have that in the movie? Which you basically did. I mean, that's essentially the Infinity Gauntlet yeah, just without true, stones. True. I mean, Magneto to be that far from doing it. Yeah. I mean, that just goes to show like how far he must have came in that life to do it. Right. And then for the next life, that's when she starts pairing up with Apocalypse. Yeah. Which that's a weird pairing. Talk about jumping from one extreme to the other. Right. And then what I thought was the craziest aspect of this one, though. Mm-hmm. Apocalypse gets gets taken out by Nimrod. Yeah. Which just did not register with me. Yeah. I don't know why. I guess because I think Apocalypse is stronger than Nimrod. Yeah, that's that's arguable. But Nimrod, I mean, is the highest evolution of Sentinel technology there right. is. Right. So when he defeats Apocalypse, that is really elevating his stock. Yeah. In my opinion. So now we get to the tenth life. Mm-hmm. Which is where she now runs into Xavier and lets him read her mind. Mm-hmm. So this is now the most important scene in X-Men history, quote-unquote. Yep. Pad, what is the impact of this moving forward? Well, it's got huge... It's almost... You know, they talk about dropping a stone into the pond and watching the ripple effects. This is more taking a boulder and chucking it into a pond because, yo, the implications of this one. Yeah, this is where... <sighs> Just to go from here is absolutely crazy because it, it, she's still, you know, giving birth to Proteus, who's mm-hmm. another Omega level. She's still doing the normal activities. Yeah. But this almost resets the complete X-Men timeline, mm-hmm. which can be good yeah. and can be bad. Yeah. But, I, like, I just don't know how this is going to play out. Like, I am very intrigued by this. Yeah. Because we've seen the books that are coming out. Mm-hmm. That are very eclectic in their in their mix. Mm-hmm. Like I think the only one that's really jumping out at me right now is X Men, right? And Excalibur, right? But Excalibur kind of reminds me of Justice League Odyssey, yeah, because you're putting a major level villain on that team. Mm-hmm. But as we see now, the timeline is rewritten. Mm-hmm. So where do we go from here? Yeah, no, it's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah, to say the least. And now you can maybe understand if that really is Xavier underneath the helmet. Then now, after seeing this information, this now changes how he is moving forward with the Mm X-Men. And where they're going to go from here. I mean, this is literally anybody's guess because he now knows that the future and, I guess, his dream is only that of a dream. Right. So how this is going to play out going forward is anybody's guess. Because the one thing in this issue, too, they do reveal, they do have a, a middle panel uh, gatefold 
artwork, and they say for issue four, Xavier's dream turns deadly for House of X. Right. And then they say for Powers of X, Cerebro fulfills its true purpose. Yeah, no, and, and I'm looking at the Marvel.com preview for Powers of X number two, which comes out uh, today Today, as we're recording. Uh, and on the cover, it has Sabretooth, Magneto, Mystique, Toad, and Emma Frost in a garden-type environment. Uh, and it says, the preview says, quote, As Xavier sows the seeds of the past, the X-Men's future blossoms into trouble for all mutantdom. And that's an interesting tagline. Mm-hmm. Because... Whatever Xavier is doing, and at this stage, it's anybody, uh-huh. anybody, like, is affected by this. It's just nobody can really kind of figure out his true motivations, but everything he's doing is just, is it working, is it not? And he's right. almost doing it that he's unifying the, every mutant on the planet, which is great, Right. but how this is coming into effect for, you know, moving forward with with history this is just absolutely wild to me. Yeah. Like, I don't know. And at the end of this timeline, as it was revealed with Destiny, if Moira has played her cards right, and, and this is the ultimate ace in the hole, like this is the last straw, so to speak, for her. Right. If she survives this, does this kick off Dawn of X? Uh, maybe. You almost have to think it does. And I just don't know how it resets, because if she dies one more time, uh-huh. that's it. But for a game-changing level event, House of X number two delivers on it. Right. And I mean, we're already just this far into the story. Mm-hmm. This is barely starting, and yet look at where we are. Yeah. This is absolutely game-changing on every level. Not only the X-Men comics, but if they're going to tie this into the, the past. Yeah. Like, I'm just not sure where this generates moving forward. This is the one thing about time travel in comics. It kind of gets yeah. a little messy because then what do you retcon the past and say <laughs> Xavier's been – like, I mean, it's just one of those scenarios that when this moment happens, do we just fast-forward to now and we just leave that in the timeline alone? Right. And Marvel is usually pretty good with their timelines. Yeah. I mean, they do have alternate realities, and yeah. you'll see that from time to time. But there's always the 616 universe that is the stat quo. So going forward with this, uh-huh. this is going to be an interesting play on how this ends for House of X. Yeah. Because House of X is the current timeline. Right. And then Powers of X is kind of where it's jumping around yeah. and, and you're seeing the different years. It's kind of filling in the uh, blank gaps. So I guess one question that's coming to mind is what if Moira is wrong? Uh, that very well could be. Could you imagine if these were all fake memories? Oh, Lord. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm just going to throw that conspiracy theory out there that let's say somebody from the Sentinels got to her. Could be. You know, from the, the one of the Trask family because at one point she's hunting them down too. Yeah. And until she's taken out because she can't stop, like not even doing that, stopping this. Yeah. So this is just one of the most well thought out stories in comics history in a long time, especially for Marvel. Mm-hmm. Marvel always has good stories. And this one, I mean, Hickman is going long term with this and just the ramifications, yeah. just a small effect. The ripples moving forward right. are going to be out of control. And especially if they play out right, because you're riding a lot on Xavier now knowing this knowledge and just evolving his his own dream yeah how trippy is that to say mm-hmm. but definitely a great issue to pick up and if you want to just read it for yourself i highly 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 recommend it head down to your local comic shops give them some support pick up some issues especially pick up house of x number two hit us up on that hashtag though will you hashtag odph join in the conversation on social media we definitely want to interact with you what was your thoughts about house of x and the restart of the x-men franchise for marvel comics right now 
we definitely are interested. So let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is George Gatton, and you are listening to the Ocho Duro Parley Hour Entertainment Edition. Hello there. Do you like movies but feel overwhelmed by the avalanche of titles available every week in the theaters and on streaming services? Do you struggle with justifying the increasing cost of movies at the theater or whether to pick up another streaming service? Well, I have a resource for you. One Movie Punch. Your movie review podcast for currently playing newly streaming classic and cult movies. One movie per day, every day. We track the theaters, streaming services, and the occasional physical release to find the best movies currently available. We watch every film, then distill it into a short three to five minute review and publish a daily podcast. And now with year two, we've gone spoiler free for all movies within the last three years and bringing on a team of reviewers with brand new perspectives and selections. Want more information? Head over to www.onemoviepunch.com to subscribe to the daily podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Movie Punch and Facebook at www.facebook.com slash One Movie Punch. We'll see you there. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH. Pad, you got some movie Marvel news to talk about? Yeah, some Marvel news, some Disney news. Got some interesting things as uh, that happened over the last week. Uh, there, well, first thing off, and this is probably the easiest one to get to, and it's probably the shortest one we'll get to because the next one is, woo, it's a long one. Uh, the first one is, of course, there's been a long rumored, kind of hinted at uh, Doctor Doom movie from Noah Hawley, who we talked about last segment. was Oh, Legion. Legion writer. Uh, now that Legion is over, uh, he's kind of doing some talking about the film, and he gave he did some interviews where he t- he basically came up with a script or an idea for a Doctor Doom movie. Uh, he wrote for Fox, and and that led some people to think, oh, maybe that'll happen at a at a Marvel now that you know Marvel has control of Fox. Uh, according to Hawley, he has revealed that the movie is quote done and it's not going to happen. In an interview with Deadline, he said, quote, I mean, where it stands is now that the movie is done and Legion is done, and I've taken a little time off because someone told me that there was this word vacation, which means you don't work, which sounded really interesting to me but hmm. but you know i need to circle back to them and announce that i would love to make it and figure out if that's something that is possible whether or not they already have a plan in place for what to do with those characters or whether they're open to my kind of vision for what to do with those characters but it's sort of on me right now to go push them which i will do as soon as i come up for air so it sounds like it's not happening could be happening but for right now it's not happening I think for them to let him do that movie would be a good look. I think it depends on what the movie entails, because, well, we know Fox's history with those characters, and we'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, it's not good. But correct me if I'm wrong. Hashtag ODPH. If I'm not mistaken, the the plot for that was there was a reporter that was going over to Latveria mm-hmm. and interviewing him, and he was telling his story through his eyes. And, that, could, that could work now. And, and, and something like it was in that vein. Right. So if it's that idea, I'm completely for it. I think yeah. it would be a fresh take. I mean... I can't remember anything like that being in the MCU. Yeah. Uh, moving on, some other we got some Disney news. Uh, they had a uh, earnings conference call last week for their third quarter, and uh, they confirmed that uh, the big changes are coming to the Fox Film Division, including word that the Marvel Studios had Kevin Feige is getting the Fox comic book heroes like the X Men and Fantastic Four. Shocking, none of us. We've heard this before, and it's you know not exactly new to anything else. The interesting thing that did come out of this is that they are axing basically nine, eighty-five to. 
90% of what Fox was working on uh, because as the studio, Fox Studios, not Disney, but Fox Studios posted a $170 million operating loss in the third quarter, or excuse me, that is Disney. Uh, They operated posting loss of $170 million for Fox. In the same time last year, Fox made like $180 million in income. Uh, Disney pinned this on the performance of Dark Phoenix, uh, where the film only grossed $65 million domestically and had a budget of $200 million. Uh, Overseas, it was a little kinder because it made $186 million overseas. Uh, They also attributed losses uh, to marketing costs for upcoming films like Ford v. Ferrari, uh, which is the only film Iger singled out. Uh, from the inherited Fox release calendar. Uh, He said, quote, one of the biggest issues was the Fox studio performance, which was well below where it had been and well below where we hoped it would be when we made the acquisition. Uh, So that was kind of like leading some questions and uh, led us to a list of somebody dug up and found a list of everything they, that, you know, is either they're not, we're not sure of yet or is safe or is canned. So we'll run through that list. Uh, These films are in pre-production, so they could happen. They may not happen. You know, time will have to wait and see. It's a 50, 50, it's a 50, 50. Okay. Uh, Avatar four and five. Now that would be the fourth and fifth sequels to James Cameron's avatar film. I would put that as 50, 50 because that to me would kind of go based off of how Avatar 2 and 3 do. All right, am I the only one that's not excited about Avatar coming back? No, I'm I'm not because to me, yeah, it was the highest grossing film of all time for 10 years, but that was due in large part to word of mouth and and how much it was hyped by those who went to see it just for the vit like It's cool for 3D, but other it, than it's that, cool for 3D. I, I've like, seen I'm, that story before. Right, I mean the story is Pocahontas in space, it's, you know, Ferngully in space, you know, take take your pick. I didn't go for the plot, and I heard people recommend it to me. Not l- listen, don't go for the plot. Go for the visuals. And the visuals I saw it in three D. The visuals were stunning. You know, when you got to the floating mountain scene, seeing that in three D was incredible. Yeah. You know, but it, but I'll be honest with you. I own a DVD copy where it's the original version, the extended version, and then the director's cut, which adds like fifteen or twenty minutes onto the thing. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched it once since like two thousand ten. Yeah, like I just I I've under- had no I've had no urge to. I understand they're trying to make something of it, but I mm-hmm. just, for me. Yeah, I have no desire to go see it. Yeah. So uh, also we have Fear Street two and three. These are movies based off of R.L. Stein books. Okay. Uh, you know they are in process of working on a Fear Street one. So I would say that kind of also depends on how Fear Street one goes. Uh, Death on the Nile. This is a sequel to uh, Murder on the Orient Express, which came out a few years ago. Okay. Bob's uh, Bob's Burger movie. Uh, Garfield, a reboot of the cartoon, uh, and then Z, which is a reboot of the Zorro films. So those are all the movies that are currently listed as in pre-production, so nobody's really quite sure yet. They may can them. They may go through with them. Okay. These one, the following ones I'm going to read are in production in some form. Either they're filming, post-production, you know, whatever. These are safe. Ad Astra, uh, The King's Man, Terminator Dark Fate, mm-hmm. The New Mutants, which we'll get to that one in a minute. Yeah. Oof. Uh, Fear Street, which I mentioned, and then Avatar 2 and 3. Uh, now we have the canceled films. There are about 276 in total, so there's a lot, but I won't go through all 276. I was going to say you got to pick and choose from that list. I'm, so. I'm going to go through just kind of the ones that jumped out to me uh, and really stuck out to me. Assassin's Creed 2, of course, would be, would have been the sequel to the uh, Michael Fassbender film from a couple of years ago. It wasn't really all that good, having played the games. Uh, Chronicle 2, a sequel to the 2012 film, which I didn't really think that needed a sequel. I don't remember a lot of people asking for one. Yeah, that was... Yeah. 
Interesting. Uh, yeah. uh, you've got uh, Flash Gordon, which uh, a reboot that was going to be directed by Taika Watiti. This was the one that we talked about a couple weeks ago, where you know he was. It was announced he was going to work on it, and it was going to happen. And then the Thor thing happened, and that put it on the back burner. But no, now it's officially can, canned and dead in the water. Uh, Hitman Two. The site I was reading wasn't quite sure if it was a sequel or a reboot. There was a Hitman movie that came out a couple years ago, but yeah, it really went under the radar. Yeah, nobody was really quite sure. Uh, Magic the Gathering, uh, based off the card game, got canceled. Uh, McLean, which was supposed to be an origin story for John McLean, got canceled. Mega Man, of course, based off of the video game, was canceled. Uh, Play-Doh, a movie based on the toy of the same name. I, all right, I don't even want to ask. Okay, I'm, I'm happy. Good yeah, cancel it. Like, the, this kind of strikes me because I remember when the uh, movie Battleship came out, of course, based off of the board game. I was like, how are you going to make a movie out of that? No, this even more so. But thankfully, I don't have to think that hard. Uh, the Argonauts, uh, of course, based off of the Greek tale, Jason and the Argonauts, was canceled. Uh, the Heat 2, which was a, going to be a sequel to the 2013 film. Uh, they were going to do a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen reboot, but that was canceled. Uh, they were going to do an animated film uh, based off of the Pink Panther, not the inspector that you know, you've seen a couple of times, but no, an animated film with the actual Pink Panther cartoon. Okay. Which I would, you know, I liked that cartoon when I was growing up. I would have been all for that, but eh, hey. Not the end of the world with that no, one. For not me, the but. end of the game. Uh, then you have The Sims uh, movie was canceled, of course, based off of the video game of the same name. I'm not sure how they would have made that one work, because if you've ever played The Sims before, it's basically a life simulator yeah. where the characters talk in like, their own language and you can't understand them. You have to make out what they're saying based off of the little bubbles that come over their head and it's like emojis, essentially. I think it's past its time, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, then you've got The Three Misfortunes of Geppetto, which was going to be a prequel to Pinocchio. What? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm not really quite sure what they were going to do with that one. Thank God it got canceled. Uh, Toy Mageddon, which was going to be a reboot of the small soldiers film from the 90s. Thank God they canned that one. I loved the Toy Soldiers movie when that came out back when I was a kid. Yeah, that one. Yeah, just leave that one alone. It's it's a it, it, you watch it now. It's a little hokey, but like you remember when it came out and just the time period. It was really crazy. Mm. And then uh, lastly, you have an untitled Sandlot prequel. It has been canceled. What, so why do you need a prequel? This I have no idea. All right, so I'm, I'm pretty like on board with everything I could canceled. No offense to anybody yeah. that's involved with it, but yeah, like seriously, like. Yeah, Sandlot prequel and like what three stages of Japan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you go to an article from Variety. Of course, it mentioned that the sequels to Avatar will proceed, as well as a continuation of the Planet of the Apes series. Uh, Although no new film in that series has been announced since the release of 2017's War for the Planet of the Apes. Is Matt Reeves involved with that? Do we know? It doesn't. The article from Variety doesn't say. It just says they're going to continue the series, even though it looked like it was an end to the series. If if Reeves is not involved with it, I don't care. Yeah. uh, Iger also said that the indie label Fox Searchlight will continue on its current trajectory and also make movies for Disney+. And then he said overall Fox's film divisions will pare back the total number of releases. He said, uh, quote, it will probably take a solid year, maybe two years before we can have an impact on the films in production. We're all confident we're going to turn around the results of Fox live action, Iger said. Uh, And then it says under uh, Disney Fox's films dated through the end of 2020, including uh, Steven Spielberg's take on the West Side Story, the Amy Adams thriller Woman in the Window and Brad Pitt's astronaut drama at Astro, which I mentioned now to New Mutants. Yeah. Oof. Now, this was the one that... When was this first announced? 2017? Oh, God, yeah. 2017 something. And this was one that you can go back. It was one of the early Entertainment Edition episodes we did where we had Mike C. from Horror Zone 607 talk about it, where we were all genuinely excited for this because 
you know, it's it was almost like a kick in the pants, shot in the shot in the arm uh, for comic book movies, where it's not the same thing you would expect from a comic book movie because it was going to be a horror. It was paid, you know, appearing to be a horror comic movie. But then it got delayed and it got delayed again. And then it started doing some test screenings and it really didn't test well. So they put it into uh, it needed some reshoots. And the the last we had heard was when Game of Thrones was getting ready to premiere. And, of course, uh, Maisie Williams uh, from plays Arya in Game of Thrones is supposed to be in the movie. Yeah, she's playing Wolfsbane. She's playing Wolfsbane in the movie. You know, of course, this was, you know, with all the news that had been going on and the delays and whatnot. This was like the uh, the press's first opportunity to ask her, hey, what's going on with New Mutants? And it's it, we said then, I know we said it on a previous episode, it wasn't a good look and it's not a good look when one of your star actors and one of your biggest actresses in the film goes, I have no idea what's going on with the movie. Yeah, this one, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. is just... It's it's cursed. It's cursed. It's it's almost like uh, what is it the the legend of Don Quixote? Yeah, whatever but, it is that like they've been trying to make it for fifteen years and it's never been able to come out. Yeah, because when this was originally announced, I mean it was a it was going to be a fresh take. Mm-hmm. I I think that was the one thing. It even I, had a trailer come out. Yeah, the trailer came out. It was a, it was like covering Pink Floyd's The Wall. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, and it looked good. Like the trailer looked really good. I'm yeah. like, okay, there might be some potential with this because. Yeah. They were going to do, and yeah, all right, so spoiler, because this movie probably will never see the light of day. It was supposed to be the Demon Bear saga. Mm-hmm. So if you've read the New Mutants, you know what that story is. Yeah. And it kind of tinges on the horror element and where they're going to go with it, especially yeah. for the X-Men franchise and superhero comics. You don't see those movies. I right. mean, not everything needs to be a Disney cookie cutter, right? in my opinion. And this was going to be something different, and just for whatever reason... I don't know what they're expecting from this. Right. And so the thing that came, came out of a variety article is, you know, they mentioned that the Dark Phoenix numbers were dismal, you know. Uh, it, it contributed to $170 million write down, you know. So the kind of thing that came out was uh, that, quote, Disney is optimistic that handling Fox, that handing Fox superhero properties such as Fantastic Four and X Men to Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige will improve the quality of these movies. But bumps must be smoothed over in that transition. The studio is unimpressed with New Mutants, an X Men spinoff with a haunted house vibe, and believes it has limited box office potential. Okay, so initial thoughts of that, because this is the first time I'm hearing this. So, initial thoughts for me are it. From that says, you know, limited box office potential. It sounds like they're still exploring putting it out in theaters, contrary to all the reports that they would just dump it on a streaming service. They are the studios behind Avengers Endgame, correct? Mm-hmm. They own the rights to Star Wars Episode Nine. Yep. You're really worried about making money? Like, I think the thing of it is, though, is you just had this this mega X-Men movie, $200 million budget or whatever it was, and it barely made its money over back and i, I grant you and that that, that's that's the benchmark for for hollywood it's it's not you know what's the fans think what's this think what's the what's the reception it's did it make its money back which i i understand from a business point i'm just my point is the fan perspective and just going if you have made you're arguably on track for like the biggest year in, in films if i'm not mistaken no yeah i think they already have had the biggest year for a studio right that even if this does crash and burn Hypothetically, let's say it just it tanks worse than Dark Phoenix. It's not going to slow you down to the point where you're going to be in dire straits. I mean, the thing of it is, though, is that, you know, yeah, Disney had Aladdin come out and Lion, which made a billion dollars. They had Lion King, which came out and made a billion dollars. They had uh, Avengers Endgame, which made two billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And yet 
they still had a hundred and seventy million dollar loss because of all the stuff they took on from Fox that ended up tanking them. Right, which and, and if I'm not mistaken, it ended up leading to their stock slipping a little bit after the the earnings call. Right, but they're going to make it tenfold and back once they get Fantastic Four and X Men rolling. I mean, right. it, it, I guess where I'm looking at it, going, okay, you you have this movie, it's sitting wherever it is. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like it's going to make money at the box office. Here is a quick and easy remedy for this. You have Disney Plus coming out November 6th, um, if I'm not mistaken, 6th, 12th? The 13th, I think. 13th, okay. So whenever, it's coming out in November. Here's what you need to do. Okay, you're going to be doing this bundle package mm-hmm. with ESPN Plus and Hulu. Right. So why don't you throw it in for subscribers? Hey, if you subscribe to the combo deal, mm-hmm. under your Hulu account, we'll give you a digital copy of this movie. See, I don't think that'll happen because that'd be like when Apple put the a U2 album on every single Apple owner's Apple device, right. and but, they hated that. But if they put it on there, not saying it's just it's an extra bonus. Like if you really are thinking about doing, hey, if you sign up, we'll throw this to you if you want. And then, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm just having flash, like I said, oh, yeah, I'm just I, having I, flashbacks I to when Apple put the U2. And this is not a slight against that U2. I'm not, you know, crapping on U2. Don't you dare go after U2. Um, listen, any U2 fans, you know, delete your emails, delete your tweets. I'm not, you know, shitting on U2. They are a very good band, amazing band. But this just doing that just reminds me of when Apple decided to put a U2 album on everyone's device whether they wanted it or not no but this is what i'm saying give the option like if you want it you know here's the download code right you know it's kind of like when uh you know when you buy like tickets for movies from mm-hmm. different sites and they throw you something if you want it here's the digital yeah. code if they did something like that for new mutants i think that'd be something to appeal to some that are not necessarily ready to jump on board now granted i think everybody is going to jump on board oh, yeah. when this oh, yeah. when this comes out don't no question yours truly be top of the line but I'm thinking for somebody that is not into the Marvel Disney style of the MCU, if they want to see something different, this might appeal to them. So you're going to cover your bases with everybody. I think it's it's possible that they, they dump it on a streaming service like a Hulu. But I think if they're still looking at putting it out theatrically, because, I mean, if, if they if they just dump it on a Hulu, a streaming service like Hulu, they're going to be eating a lot of money. So they're going to, I think they're going to try and at least make a little bit of this money back that, you know, they're going to be on the hook for whatever the budget is. I've tried looking up some numbers. Nobody's got some firm numbers on what the budget is for this film. And that's before we get into the cost for reshoots and what that is flying all the cast back in and rebuilding sets if they have to and that whole mess. I think what they would do is, is in the more likely thing is they'll put it out theatrically, but it'll be super short, like a couple weeks, limited release not don't put it out in like 2000 theaters like your your typical release or whatever it is 2500 3000 whatever your normal release is limited release real short so that way you're not paying you know a, a theater in Des Moines Iowa to have seven showings at its local theater when nobody's coming I wonder if they would do something like when they uh, Batman Killing Joke. I know it's different in studio, yeah. different everything, but how yeah. that went to the theaters for an extremely limited run. Yeah, no, that that's what I thought. This to me, I think, is what the you know, and after that, put it on the put it on the streaming service on Hulu like a month later, whatever it is. You know, I just can't see them like as much as they want to just get this movie out and be done with it and have the headache out of off of their shoulders. It just makes far more sense to me to just dump it out. Limited release, limited promotion too. Because oh yeah, let, let's be honest. You know, if if promotion has already sunk in the ship a little bit for the Fox Studios, they're not going to want to put any more money into this thing if they already fear it has quote limited box office potential. 
yeah, like I said, I mean, it makes sense to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And I guess if they're really worried about that big of a financial loss, I mean, yeah, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. I guess I'm just looking at it from the fan perspective. Like, you've had a very successful year. Even if there is one hiccup and this is the hiccup, it's still going to do something. For at least anything, people are going to go want to see why it's so bad. Right. You're going to have that contingent. There are people that go to movies to see bad movies and see why. You'll have that with this if it's really that bad. Right. I mean, you're going to have a very mixed crowd in there. You're going to have the comic book fans that want to see it because it's a comic book movie. And if it's really that bad, you're going to have the people that want to see it just to say, I saw it, and oh my gosh, I mean, it's that bad. But the thing is, Fox has had a couple of flops this year. I mean, we mentioned Dark Phoenix. Stuber with uh, Dave Batista was a flop. Uh, the Art of Racing in the Rain, which opened this past weekend or a couple weekends ago, was to just $8.1 million all weekend was a flop. You know, and then that's in comparison to what Disney had with Endgame, Aladdin, and Lion King, which I know that might be apples to oranges, but like it still hurts your bottom line. It hurts the bottom line. Like I, I understand their point. Like I said, I want to just kind of bring it back tenfold. I understand their point, but I guess what I'm saying is, where are you going to lose more money? Holding it forever and and not releasing it, and or trying to make something out of it, like right. give it a limited release run or throw it as an incentive for streaming. I mean. You have some options to do, and is I mean the question is how really bad is it? Right, I mean because that's making me interested in watching. I'll it. say I'm I almost want to see like a behind the scenes book or like a tell all book with how, just how bad things are because there was a, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Bach who is a box office analyst with Exhibitor Relations who said quote If Disney hadn't bought Fox and they were just going along with business as usual, there'd still be layoffs and there'd be a for sale sign on the lot. There's no way they'd have been able to survive in this climate. And I think you look at some of the films that got canceled. I'm sorry. Play-Doh? Yeah. Like, what? Oh, Mega Man is as bad as video game movies have been. And they've been bad. Like, hello, Doom. Yeah, I know it's got The Rock in it, but it's bad. Yeah. Like, but but for every, like, Detective Pikachu movie, in, in my opinion, I know not everyone agrees with this, Ratchet and Clank film, there's a lot of bad video game movies. Like, okay, Mega Man probably might have, depending on what it was about, could have been bad, could have been good. But, like, prequel to The Sandlot? Why? Prequel to Pinocchio? Why? Why? That... Like, you know, just like all the, just some of the stuff that they were just green lighting that was just like, why? Like, I, I, I really think it might have been a saving grace that Disney bought out Fox. I think so in tenfold. Just I think that what Disney is going to do with the properties moving forward is going to be really interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Because now, does everything get Disney-fied, if that's a word? Right. You have to wonder that because it, I don't see. I don't think so. I think what'll happen for that is they'll just be the parent with with the the wallet and the bank account, where and and Fox will be the kid needing an allowance, where you know whoever's in charge of Fox will go to you know because Fox Studios will still be a thing. You're not gonna see go see a 20th Century Fox movie and see a Disney logo in front of it. You're you're just gonna see it as is. You know it might say a division of Walt Disney Studios though, but. I, I think it's just going to play out where Disney might, you know, if they think something, if they're seeing the footage as it's filming and they're not really liking how it's looking like, ah, we don't think this will be good. You might want to take a look at this, but I don't think they're going to be going do this movie, do that movie, do this movie, do that movie. To me, they're just the parent with the wallet and the kids asking for a, 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 a allowance. 
It's going to be an interesting thing to see moving forward with them mm-hmm. and where they go from here. I mean, obviously, Disney has a lot of choices to make if they yeah. want to make some of these movies. They also got a big old vault to use. Yeah, so Disney Plus is going to have a lot mm-hmm. to watch when it comes out in November. But definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts now with Disney's plan moving forward? Some of those movies really appeal to you that they're canceling, some not. And what is your thoughts on New Mutants? Like, let's get into that discussion, shall we? Oh, yeah. Hit us up on our social media, OchoDuroParleyHour.com. You can find all the links there. Join in the conversation because we want to talk to you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. The ODPH is proud sponsors of Robocon 2019, happening September 28th and 29th. Don't miss out on Binghamton, New York's biggest sci-fi, fantasy, and gaming convention of the year. For badge details and more info, check out Robocon.org. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Pad. Kick us off those one-shots. i got a couple things to talk about. Uh, didn't mention it on the show last week, but it's worth mentioning this week. The uh, next DC animated film is out. It is one we heard about greatly at New York Comic Con last year, and that is Batman Hush. Yes. Uh, to answer anyone's questions, yes, Catwoman is in the movie. <laughs> Inside joke for those of us here at the panel. Wow. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, film is good. Film is very good. Uh, I won't go into spoilers yet since I know Ken hasn't seen it yet, but it is a very good film. Uh, it is, it's got a great story. Only for me, trips up a little bit uh, at one point in the movie when Hush isn't there because it just feels a little odd that, you know, Hush is there and Hush is doing his own thing and then he's not there. Just the one kind of gripe for me. Other than that, it is very good. Uh, the next film they're going to be working on is Wonder Woman Bloodlines, which to me, there is a, like with all the DC animated films lately, there's been like a, a kind of sneak peek at in the special features on when you watch the film. That one to me is going to be very interesting to see how they do, because at least from what I, and this is without knowing how they're going to do things in the film, but there's a lot of scenes that they show or tease that are from or what you've seen in the uh, recent Wonder Woman film with Gal Gadot. So, you know, even with, you know, Steve Trevor crashing on the island and her getting the armor and wanting to leave, it's like, all right, how is this going to work? Like, it'd be one thing if the Wonder Woman film hadn't come out yet. And this is like the first time we're seeing her origin story in some form of media, but it's not. We just saw the film and now we're going to see parts of it. So I don't know how that's going to work, but I'll be interested to see it when it comes out. Yeah, I'm excited to see Hush. I mean, I the Jim Lee artwork yeah. in the comic yeah. is amazing. So yeah. the story I dig too. So I can't wait to pick that up. Yeah, I uh, got some other interesting news. I got a surprise uh, announcement for Borderlands Three today as we record. Wasn't expecting this. Uh, it was uh, Ice T is going to be in the video game. Yes, yes, that Ice T. If you go to his uh, Twitter account, which is twitter.com/slash final level, or if you're on Twitter, go to at final level. Uh, he said, "Quote: Sometimes the rumors are true. Borderlands Three is going to be crazy." Why? And he's in the character. Play, he's in the game playing a character named Bazer, uh, which if you see this, if you see it on screen, it looks like this stuffed ro- stuffed bear wolf looking thing in a mech suit. Uh, and he just says, hey, Vault Hunter, which is what the characters you play at are. That's their job title. Uh, give me a squeeze for old time's sake. So I have no idea what his character is going to be. I was already excited for that game. I'm just even more sold on it. It's going to be an, it's going to be incredible. Looks very, very cool. So, and, yeah. uh, and Ice T liked your tweet. Yeah, he did. I, I, I quote tweeted it on my personal account, said as if I needed, you know, even more reason to be excited for this game. So he liked it. So that was that was fun to see. 
Uh, last one I got is a video game series near and dear to my heart. Uh, got a, a reveal trailer for the next Need for Speed game. Yes, the long running uh, racing simulator, driving simulator, whatever you want to be want to call it is coming out. Uh, they call titled Need for Speed Heat. Now, the interesting thing with this, and if you are familiar at all with Need for Speed's history over the years, it's by and large they have dealed with dealt with kind of made up places or places that are at least a, a little bit inspired. Uh, the one that comes by other places, the one that comes to mind for me is Need for Speed Rivals, which came out in, I want to say 2016, 2017. Uh, looked like it was very much kind of based off of the Pacific Northwest, even into parts of California. Uh, you know, but by and large, they did deal with made up or inspired places. It looks like this one might be taking place in Miami. Yeah. Okay. You know, just based off of you see the logo at the end and it's almost got that like, uh, Miami Vice look to it, and just some of the the scenery in the backgrounds. Not too much to go off of the gameplay. There's a little bit of gameplay, but I'm kind of I'm kind of skeptical about this one because while I enjoy the Need for Speed franchise, there are games that are hit and miss. You know, for me, the best one they've done recently was Need for Speed Rivals because it had a simple plot. It really didn't get involved. There wasn't a lot of cutscenes. You know, but then there are ones that are missed for me where I forget what it was, but there was a game uh, right after or excuse me, before Need for Speed Rivals, where it was very like I enjoy the games when they're open world and you can kind of do whatever you want. And if you want to go do something fun, you can go do something fun and then you can go do a mission. But where they're not fun for me or when it's just like, oh, you can't drive like it's a car driving game. I want to be able to drive around in, a you know, a Nissan GTR or a Lamborghini or a McLaren or whatever. Like I want to I'm never going to own these cars. I want to at least drive around in them virtually. Right. You know, the, it's fun for me when Need for Speed is open world. When it's not fun for me is when it's very like linear and like you got to go mission to mission, mission to mission. And there's nothing in between you can do. Yeah, this is going to be interesting to see. The trailer looked kind of dope. Yeah. Um, I really don't know what to think of this. Need for Speed has been around for so long now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's almost like a how many times can you reinvent the wheel? No pun intended. Yeah, so I'm I'm very eager to see it, and when it comes out, I'll definitely have to try giving it a play somewhere. Yeah. So you know, my my decision is out right now, but right. definitely the trailer looked cool. So yeah, I gotta give a approval on that yeah. thus far. Yeah. So for my one shots, talking about what's at the comic book shop this week. DC's has their Superman event, Event Leviathan, uh-huh. is the latest issue is out, and Powers of X by Marvel, number two. Obviously, the Hickman story we're going to be covering next week on the show, that's out. And also, talking a little comics. Now, Pad, are you familiar with Valiant Comics? A little bit. Okay, well, you know the Vin Diesel is attached to the Bloodshot movie? Yes. They are now going to make the announcement that they're going to be restarting the Rye comic hmm. now rye has a tie to bloodshot uh it's set in the 41st century and it's the, a little ways in the future it's a ways in the future it was kind of interesting like when i got started in the valiant comics that's when i started reading it so for me this is very interesting to see how they're going to play out and the writer that is attached to the relaunch coming in november dan abnett okay you know who that is uh no he is part of the team that restarted the guardians of the galaxy franchise oh for the comics the, okay the, the star lord okay rocket team so he is going to be taking the helm on that book when that comes out in November. I'm very excited to see what this is going to play out. Valiant, I think a lot of people are sleeping on right now. And when they start having the movies start coming, I think they're going to have a lot of spotlight on them, which they rightfully deserve. I think Valiant, like I said, their characters get slept on a lot. They are very, very good characters. And speaking of movies, mm-hmm. we did see Hobbs and Shaw. We are not reviewing it on the show because 
what can it's you re- amazing it, it's amazing for all the wrong reasons mm-hmm. you don't go for the script you go for the action you go to see the rock and jason statham do and, rock and, and jason statham things and other characters and other cameos in there too so uh-huh. they're going to start their own parallel fast and furious yeah story yeah uh idris elba has a symbiotic motorcycle i'm convinced of it so i think yeah. there's a venom tie-in I'm convinced you can't tell me otherwise. You have to see it for yourself, but go for the action. Don't go for the script, and that's all. No. I'll leave it with that. But speaking of movies, because I had to throw that in there too, Avengers Endgame did come out on Blu-ray, Yep. so it's finally released. Uh, you picked up your copy. I yep. know you've watched it at least yep. a couple times already. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's great. It's even better with a good sound system. I will say that. Yeah, and they do have the special features in there yeah. too. Yep. Stephen Peggy's Last Dance. Yep. Uh, the casting story behind Robert Downey Jr. joining the MCU. Yeah. They have a story about how Captain America is important to the MCU as well. They have the bro Thor uh, <laughs> kind of gag scene. The Lebowski Thor. Explaining it. They also have the bonus scenes, which the one I've seen uh, is when everybody takes the knee. Yeah. Bowing to Tony, which. Well, I'm not even bowing, just like paying respects. Yeah, it's paying respects, bowing. Like, I don't know. Like, for me, it's a weird scene. So I'm kind of glad they kept it out. I'm, I, you know what? I'm I'm kind of on the fence, too. Like, I would have liked to see that in the film. But also, at the same time, I'm glad they did put it in because that was already such an emotional scene. And then you get to the, and then right after that's the funeral scene. So, like. I remember in our showing, like, people were already kind of sniffling and getting a little misty-eyed. So, like, I feel like that just would have ruined everybody. It probably would have. Yeah. So, obviously, that scene's in there, and then there's the Stanley Remembrance. Uh, I'm avoiding that one. And it's not for, like, any slight against Marvel or Disney or or the folks that worked on this. It's just the stuff I've read and from the people who've already seen it, it has put everyone in tears. Yeah, it's definitely going to hit you. It's going to hit you pretty like, hard. I, I got I to gotta watch this when I'm at like one of my more strong emotional points here. Obviously, but Avengers Endgame is now out on Blu-ray, so pick it up wherever you pick up mm-hmm. Blu-rays. It's been out on digital for a while. Obviously, the highest-grossing movie of all time is a worthy addition to any collection. So I can't wait for it to break the home box office records for like digital for like digital sales and physical sales. It's definitely going to do it. Yeah, it's going to do it. So just wait for that. And I guess we have to plug where we're going to be at. Mm-hmm. Uh, September 28th, 29th, we're going to be at Robocon. Robocon.org for more information. Saturday, between 11 and 1 in the uh, time slot is the hashtag 607 podcast group. We don't know who's starting to do the panels, but for our panel, we can officially announce we are going to be covering the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Pad, Bright Eye Signal, Coach Duffy, who is returning to the Entertainment mm-hmm. Edition for the first time since its first episode. It's like a, it's like a cameo appearance, and he don't come cheap. He does not come cheap. No. No, we had our deal with his arbitration to go get his old headphones. Yeah. He has a rider that we have to go accommodate before we'll, him to come down. We'll say, if, if the Robert Downey Jr., what he requires list is to be believed, uh, Duffy... T- uh, trumps that yeah so he will be in attendance mm-hmm. and like we said we're gonna be on at somewhere between 11 and 12 we don't know when yet we're gonna find that out hopefully very soon three fat nerds our buddies over there at the hashtag 607 podcast family they're gonna be doing a live show too as well so rich ron and diesel are gonna be there that's gonna be a crazy panel so if you're going to robercon definitely make sure to be in attendance for that because that is going to be a show between 11 and 1 on saturday and then on sunday rich from three fat nerds Mike C. from Horror Zone 607 and I are going to be running the uh, podcast workshop on Ooh, Sunday. Okay. So it'll be a fun time. Definitely check out robercon.org for more information. The following week after that, uh, the ODPH is going to be down in New York Comic Con. So if you're going to be down there, shoot us a line on uh, Twitter. Shoot us a, a direct line. Let us know. We'll pull up and say, hey, uh, we're going to be making rounds down there. New York Comic Con is so close, my friend. Uh-huh. It's always the best time of year for us. Uh-huh. And our last plug, because news is breaking about this, so we don't have a lot to discuss. Okay. 
But kudos to Rich over at Three Fat Nerds and Eight One Two Two Productions. He is going to be, uh, I believe, one of the sponsors, the Eight One Two Two Productions of BroomCon, oh. which is going to be happening locally here in the Six O Seven in May. It is very much in its infancy. Uh, yeah. We don't have anybody to announce who's going to be there. Uh, it's going to be the weekend of Free Comic Book Day. So it's there, a good weekend. Yes. So if you are in the 607 or want to visit, that is going to be a time to do it. We are going to be down there. I believe we are doing a panel as well. Okay. Um, I don't have dates. I don't have anything. It's so brand new that I'm just going to tell you, stay tuned to the 8122 Productions Network Obviously, stay tuned to OchoDuroParleyHour.com. As soon as we get some news, we're going to break it. But kudos to those guys. They have been putting in some work. They're going to be up at Sci-Fi and Horror Fest and ScareCon 2 in October. So definitely, if you are traveling to any cons on the East Coast, definitely pull up and say, hey, Mike C. is going to be in attendance, too, from Horizon 607. It's a whole hashtag 607 podcast takeover. Mm-hmm. So get on board, folks, because it's going to be a heck of a ride. So the music you heard on today's episode is that of Crimson Brethren. Crimson Brethren has now formed the band Floodlands. For more information on that band and all the music you hear here on the ODPH, check out OchoDuroParleyHour.com and check under the music section on the webpage. Also check out hashtag 607 podcast. You can find out all the contact information for Three Fat Nerds, Horizon 607, the whole hashtag 607 podcast group. Check out Parlay Points. We're talking blogs on the show, so we interact in between shows. So definitely take a read if you haven't read already. There is so much on OchoDuroParleyHour.com that you need to check out. Just click it right now after the show. Because that's all we got for this week. So for Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 